The Athletic. Totally Football Show, back to reality edition, as football returns from its sunshine break to confront the mess it left behind six short weeks ago, the post piled up on the map, the carton of post-milk in the fridge, the arsenal on top of the table. Hang on, the arsenal on top of the table? That's right, bewildering as the last month has been in Qatar land, what awaits us in the Premier League might just be stranger still. We'll be picking through the surprises and the delights in store on Boxing Day in today's Totally Football Show. You there, boy. What round of the season is this? <laughs> Hello, listener. It's Wednesday the 21st of December and game week 16 is standing by. Hello also to Matt Davis-Adams, Charlie Eccleshare and Carl Anker. Hello. Hello. Ahoy, hoy, James. Ahoy, hoy, indeed. Back to the proper football, eh? Who's pumped? We've had some Carabao Cup action already. Hey, Charlie, <laughs> did you watch any? I didn't. I didn't see any of last night's Carabao action. Matt, did you do the Carabao Cup stuff? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was so excited about it. I was on BBC Radio Wales at six o'clock this morning, running through it. Incredible scenes um, with absolutely no shocks and no results that you wouldn't expect. But uh, a fantastic miss in the Southampton-Lincoln game, if nothing else. Okay. Carl? I will be looking forward to watching Manchester United's re-return to, to footballing action. Good. Excellent. Well, we'll touch on that and so many other topics. Six weeks, of course, on pause is a long time for any audience to retain what's been happening, particularly a Totally Football Show audience, probably. So, of course, we're going to start off with a little reminder of what and who was going on before all that business in Qatar. Harlan, can he reach it? We are where we are. Scott Parker has been sacked by Bournemouth. It's Orsic, and he's in behind Chelsea. It's around the goalkeeper and in. Thomas Tuchel is no longer the Chelsea manager. Chelsea have just appointed Graham Potter as their manager. He's an amazing football club. Too big to, to turn down. It felt right for me. Brighton have a new head coach, the Italian Roberto De Zerbi. Multiple sources are now reporting that Bruno Large has been let go by Wolves. Southampton are parted company with Ralph Harsenhutl. <laughs> I'm a man, I accept it. I understand the situation that we're in. I am so happy to be here and to share with you this new project. Oh, Granny Jacker! You little beauty! And this is the Arsenal who have been taking the lead by storm this season. Yeah. I mean, I would have gone with out of control. But anyway, <laughs> lovely piece there. What I'm taking most of all from that is five managers fired. Five! Parker, Tuchel, Hazelnuttle, Gerard, and Large. Crikey. Did you, was that, was that all very much fresh in your mind still, Matt? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been really looking forward to the return of the Premier League. So I, I've been reassociating myself with what's happened this season. And a quarter of the managers gone. That, is, that does feel quite a lot for this stage. Hmm. Let's see what else you remember or don't, Matt, Carl. And Charlie, uh, here's question one on the events of the season before the break, okay? 
How many Premier League goals had last season's Golden Boot winner Sun Hyung Min scored? Three Premier League goals. And what was remarkable about that, Charlie? All in the same game. Yep, absolutely right, against Leicester in September. Carl, one for you. What was Liverpool's result the week after they beat Man City 1-0? Oh, they lost. Uh, lost, I want to say they lost 2-0. Oh, was it 2-1 to Leeds? They lost. Tell him, Matt. After they beat Man City, uh, uh, they they beat West Ham? They They lost lost to to Forest. Forest. They lost to Forest. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the After they beat Man City, are you sure? Yeah, next week. They're not playing midweek? In the league. I don't... I mean, yeah, in the league we're talking. Mm. Yeah. On a Cavill, I'm still not sure. On a Cavill. Okay, here's (laughs) another question. Who set a new Premier League record for most goals conceded seven games into the season? Would it be Bournemouth? I don't want to answer it just in case. I don't think it's Bournemouth. because It's not are... Bournemouth, although I can see where you'd think it might be with that 9-0 against Liverpool. Is it Forest? <laughs> <laughs> it's Leicester. Leicester, ah. who then produced something like six clean sheets in a row. All right, one more. Who was the first Man United player to actually score a goal this season? And which <laughs> round was it in? Uh, this would oh, be... it was Jadon Sancho. Oh, Charlie, in over the top. Yes, indeed. Jaden Sancho. Remember, Remember him? him? Matt, vindication. Producer Charlie's just been on to say, yes, there was a midweek round between the victory over Man City and defeat to Nottingham Forest. Yeah, but I mean, the important thing to remember is that they did lose to Nottingham Forest. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, in all your research, I mean, I'm sure we've all been looking at what's happened in the season you know, to get back up to speed. What was the, what's been the thing that most surprised you of the things, I guess, that we've forgotten about. For me, for example, it was match day 16, the fact that Man City lost to Brentford just before the, the break for the World Cup. I, that had completely gone out of my head. Charlie? Yeah, I mean, as you, that five-point gap between City and Arsenal does still feel faintly unbelievable. And maybe because the fact that Arsenal have lost probably their best player for a large chunk. I mean, it was already... It was such a, it's such a strange situation because, you know, after that after that round of games where... Arsenal went five points clear. Sky Sports tweeted, I think justifiably saying, are Arsenal in the title race? About a team five points clear after 14 games. But that's kind of, like, it didn't feel that preposterous. And the fact they've now lost Jesus feels even more, you know, I I don't think people really think of them in that way. And I mean, Newcastle as well, I'd sort of forgotten just how well they were doing, how incredible their form's been. Um, So yeah, with both of those, interesting to see how much their momentum has been checked. Hmm. Carl, anything you'd completely forgotten about? Uh, I forgot about the stuttering performance of Liverpool. So, yes, much like Charlie, look at the league table, re-remembered Newcastle were actually third, and then also re-remembered Liverpool hadn't had a great go of it at the the start of the season. Um, Leicester's performance, where they've gone from being one of the best of the rest to sort of being uh, a James Madison goal borrower machine, uh, and now languishing in 13th, was also something that I need remembering as well. Uh, And just the general... Sort of, as you mentioned, just how many managers have left and also how many good managers have come in to replace mm-hmm. them. Um, the Premier League's, you know, we, we talk about how it's now the global hub for footballing talent and also the global hub for, you know, the top six has some of the best managers in the world. But the fact that now relative mid-table clubs or bottom half clubs can also have just remarkable football talent. You, you, it's very hard to find space for 
another great manager in the Premier League because just there's just so many good managers in here, at least on paper. I was just going to say, I'd forgotten just how... I, I know Chelsea were kind of struggling towards the back end, but I forgot just how bad they've been doing. The last five Premier League results, three defeats, two draws. They're eight points off the top four, albeit with a game in hand. In my head, I, I sort of had them as... You know they're they're a sort of win away from being fourth again, but they have left themselves quite a bit to do. Yeah, Miguel Almiron, remember him? Remember how <laughs> how he's like the star of the season now and has got oh, eight yeah. goals? That that's kind of quite surprising. Isn't he? He's one of those players who you, I guess we've all forgotten about over the last six weeks. But uh, yeah, he's back and and raring to go. One would assume it's interesting looking at the top scorers. Actually, obviously Haaland's miles ahead of of anybody else, but then in the kind of pack behind, you've got Tony Mitrovic. Rodrigo and Almiron, which you wouldn't have thought back in August. Indeed not. All right, well, plenty of big questions then as the league gets back underway. Let's have a look at the Boxing Day lineup next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. So the Premier League is back on Boxing Day. And then Tuesday and Wednesday as well. 12.30 on Monday, the 26th, you've got Brentford hosting Spurs. At 3 o'clock, Palace face Fulham. Everton take on Wolves. Leicester get a visit from Newcastle. And Saints play Brighton at 5.30. Aston Villa face Liverpool. And leaders at Arsenal are up against West Ham. Tuesday, Chelsea Bournemouth and Man United Forest. Wednesday, Leeds Man City. Well, as we just heard, among the big questions, Chelsea's form will the extended break have given Graham Potter time to get his team back on track. Can Newcastle and Almiron continue their incredible form? And, I think the one we might start with, how will Arsenal fare without Gabriel Jesus? Uh, They're facing West Ham Monday at 8 o'clock. Charlie, as you mentioned, five points clear at the top of the table, the biggest lead in nine years, the kind of lead that inevitably tends to lead to the title. But without Jesus, what's the plan, Charlie? Well, they don't have a huge amount of options in that position. I mean, Eddie and Ketia will come in, you would have thought. I mean, the other thing they could do is play someone out wide, move Martinelli through the middle. Uh, it's weirdly never worked as well as it sort of should do in theory. I mean, I don't know if that's just... I mean, it probably is just a case of him learning that role. Smith Rowe, if he's fit, can play. Arteta's mentioned before he could play as a false nine. Uh, he did it once before without a huge amount of success. But also, he hasn't been seen in these kind of mid preseason games, whatever you want to call them. So... I don't think he'll be back for Boxing Day anyway. Um, But it's a huge ask. You know, Jesus is, he's such a unique player in what he gives this team. I mean, he hasn't scored for for a while, but no one who's watched Arsenal, and certainly not Arteta, the way he talks about Jesus, would say he's been anything other than transformational for them. So, you know, Nketiah is probably a better finisher. I think he'll he'll score a few goals, but whether he can press with the same intensity. And, and he just doesn't, you know, Jesus has such leadership skills that he's brought to this group. So it's going to be really, really, really challenging to see whether, you know, the extent to which that uh, derails Arsenal's season. And, you know, we, we have been here before with Arsenal where they've been going well. You think back to that period where it felt like every season they'd be doing quite well and then Van Persie or Fabregas or someone like that would suffer an injury and they'd uh, they'd struggle. Um so yeah, it's 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 a really tough one. If if Arteta can solve this, um, you know, and keep them afloat for the next two three months, however long it takes, uh, then, then I think they will be in the title race. To answer Sky's uh, question from the last round, 
They need to buy somebody, though, don't they? You would assume, because in Katia, what, 10 goals in, in 71 Premier League appearances would suggest that he's probably not going to you know, be the person to, to step up. I know, as Charlie said, Jesus not exactly in brilliant goal-scoring form himself. But I was looking at this and thought, well, maybe you get another uh, big-name South American superstar in, Ben Brereton-Diaz, out of contract <laughs> at the end of this season. I, seriously, you could do worse than that because A, he'd be cheap and B, if you signed him, he's not the kind of profile of player who's going to then have his nose put out of joint when Jesus comes back into the team in a couple of months. So it might be worth considering. I think for Arsenal, the challenge they have is that looking at last January, they were in a similar position because Aubameyang uh, was on the naughty step. And so at that point, he hadn't actually left. He didn't leave till deadline day. But, you know, there was this huge clamour, Arsenal need to get a striker. And they didn't. And you could argue it cost them top four. But also by not doing it, it enabled them to get Jesus in the summer. Had they rushed in and bought someone kind of halfway there, they're not the kind of club who have the bottomless resources that they could have just then also signed Jesus, I don't think. So they have this quite careful plan. And it's a real dilemma, the extent to which you throw that out for the sake of a two, three-month injury. But when there's so much at stake, you know, this does, with City being as good as they are, this does feel like a kind of once in a decade or so opportunity. So how much do you say, well, yes, we've got this plan, but you also have to adapt. I mean, I think their plan anyway was to bring in another wide forward this window. I don't think that will change. I think they'll do that. Would, would that be Mudrick? Out of, that uh, would be Mudrick. Mudrick is, yeah, Mudrick being the number one target. And the hope is that you, you know, kind of like City have done for a lot of the time, you know, certainly last season, you don't have a striker, but you have enough really good wide forwards that it all kind of just makes sense somehow. Um, so I think they'll push forward with that rather than changing course too much and signing someone like that as well as a striker. Hmm. As for West Ham, uh, their opponents on Monday, the Hammers only one point above the drop. They've only won one of their last six games. They've lost all their last three. Weirdly, they've won all their games in the Conference League, though. Uh, so there's that. David Moyes has never won away at Arsenal. 18 trips. I mean, that is quite pathetic, really, isn't it? He's obviously <laughs> an excellent coach, but to have not won at any big six club in the what 20 odd years he's been managing is it takes some doing what, hmm. why is it going so badly for Moyes at West Ham this time I think he's caught between trusting his newer players and his older lieutenants are older and, and, and creaking and not able to, to play, play the sort of football that was so successful in, in previous seasons the, the chemistry of Suchek and Declan Rice in midfield has been dramatically altered by the fact that Declan Rice has become a better football player uh, and now wants to make more late entries into the box and Suchek who previously used to do that isn't anywhere near as good at stopping counter-attacks in the way Declan Rice is so uh, you probably have to give Declan Rice the keys to midfield you probably now need to get another number six to play behind Declan Rice so he can keep being progressive or you hold your best player in Declan Rice backwards uh, and get someone better than Suchek to, to motor around in that midfield as well uh, and then up front I think while Antonio is probably the better quote-unquote Premier League striker you eventually need to trust uh, Samaka as well so yeah caught in a tricky 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 position mm -hmm. all right five points behind Arsenal as Charlie mentioned our man City will be traveling to Leeds that game's not happening until Wednesday by the way a few facts mm -hmm. about it Two meetings of these two clubs last season. City won both by an aggregate score of 11-0. Huh. And that was before they signed Erling Haaland, of course. Erling Haaland, a Leeds native, 
has scored in 18 games this season. How many goals? 18. 23. Because <laughs> I was talking about all competitions, but in the Premier League, he's on 18 goals in 13. He's already matched the golden boot tallies of six previous winners of the Premier League's top scorer award. It's remarkable. I bet Charlie can tell us who all those six are as well. <laughs> well, I do remember there was an 18... I think 97-98 was shared between three players who got 18. I think that Dublin, Hasselbank... It may have been Michael Owen, but I, I feel like there's also a thing that Owen never won it, but, but it may have been those three. Right. 18 in 13 appearances in the Premier League, which is one every 58 minutes that he's on the pitch. So that'll be interesting for Leeds, who are... <laughs> Uh, in a similar position to West Ham, they're two points above the drop. I watched Leeds lose to Fulham uh, before the World Cup came in, and it very much looked to be the end of Jesse Marsh. He, his, his reaction to that game, he went over to, to clap every single stand at Ellen Road. Uh, he sort of kicked the ball in frustration and, and gave a very muted press conference. And I thought, well, this is this is the end of you. Um, there's surely someone else waiting to come in for, for, for next week. Uh, and he survived and, and Leeds played slightly more competent football in the weeks afterwards. They're in a really precarious position because I know they lost so much against Manchester City last season, but that's, that was Bielsa's Leeds. And I think Bielsa's Leeds uh, are a concept that can only really be compared to other Bielsa teams. Whereas this Leeds team are trying to play slightly more functional and trying to be less open and yet can still get carved up in the same way. So uh, good luck to them. Uh, and if Jesse Marsh manages to last the season, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. They're also without Tyler Adams for this game, I believe, Leeds. So he got sent off against Spurs, which is quite a significant blow. Again, one that post-World Cup feels like more of a blow than it might have seemed uh, to, to some viewers anyway who don't watch Leeds regularly uh, a few weeks ago. Right, because of his impressive performances in Qatar. Yeah, right. absolutely. They're, obviously, Leeds have got Somerville, who had a nice little run of form, uh, and they've got uh, Sinistera, who I, th I think I've spoken before about. It's simply a matter of time before Sinistera becomes their starting left winger. So there are two or three players who are eventually going to kick on for Leeds, and this Leeds 11 in February will be look very different to the Leeds 11 from February last year, I hope. Mm. All right. Well, things take a sinister turn, etc. and so on. At Ellen Road, two points and three points back from the top two, respectively, and Newcastle and Spurs. So here's another of the big questions. This incredible form that Newcastle were on, five wins in a row, unbeaten in 10 games, have taken 22 points from the last 24 available, only one defeat all season. Can it continue? And Almiron, who scored seven goals in his last eight, will he regress to the mean? He should. So, Almiron's massively, well, I say massively, Almiron has been overperforming. She, the entire goal scoring run he's had, this is very much a nice purple patch. I think what's been quite nice about Almiron's goal scoring run is he's hitting things first time, whereas previously you could see that man take two or three touches and then get caught out and whatnot. Uh, I'm not sure if we can call things momentum now we're just having, just going back to a new start of the season, but I wouldn't bank on Almiron scoring goals at the same rate he was scoring before the World Cup happened. In, why in why of, do you think it'll change? Um, I think it's just a disruption to momentum, right? So the, you know, if you, if you, if you plot out the way Almiron's scoring and you plot the XG, there's just a gap discrepancy there that suggests his, you know, one or two things. One, he's either completely changed how he strikes the ball uh, and has downloaded new tricks over the summer or two, it's a hot streak. Right. And, 
I am leading towards it's a hot streak. Um, he's confident uh, and he's playing some of the best football he's, seen, he's ever done in England, but he's not doing anything dramatically different to how he plays football. Um, so, yeah, I think okay. this Newcastle team are good. And now the question is, can they get... I mean, the question, questions up for me are, is Alan Maxman anywhere near suitable for that first 11? Because it, it appears like they might have outgrown him. And two, um, what is the injury status of Alexander Isak? Because Eddie Howe is very non-committal about the Swedish striker. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You, you do look at it and you think, so Maxman has missed a lot of the season with injury. Obviously, Isak as well. Those two could make a really positive difference. But I think I agree with Carl. I mean, I was thinking with, with uh, Almiron's form. Newcastle had the similar thing with Joe Willock um, in that COVID lockdown season. Very, just went on this ridiculous scoring tear. And sure enough, he did then regress to the mean. And when he joined them on a full, um, on a permanent deal the following season, he you know didn't score loads. Or, uh, admittedly, he's still a really important player for them. Uh, but that, you know, Leicester away is a, it's a very tough game now. One that you know earlier on in the season would have been like, let's just go take a few corners and we'll probably win. <laughs> but then there was a, a defensive Volt Fass inspired by Volt Fass um, for Leicester. Mm, which nice. Very nice. Seems to have <laughs> Concerning scenes from Newcastle midweek. Uh, dressing room selfie after reaching the quarterfinal of the League Cup by beating Bournemouth at home. Have you notified the Celebration Police? Mm, yeah, I have. I know they haven't won a trophy since the 60s, but um, yeah, not, not a great look. Right. Leicester will have a very rested James Madison. You might be going to Newcastle in January. What? So a little, little wrinkle there, isn't there? He's, he's long been linked with, um, with Newcastle and, and January apparently might be the time for that to happen. So that adds a little, um, a little twist to this game. Wow. As they continue their charge on the top two. They're only two points, as I mentioned, behind Man City. What do you think? It's theirs to lose. They, they, you know, Manchester United will be coming, Liverpool will be coming, Chelsea will be coming, um, but they are in, can you be pole position? Pole position for Brom, <laughs> so to speak. Um, yes, they, they all have to squander things just as much as the other teams have to be very, very good. Uh, and I think Newcastle's quote-unquote good vibes uh, and the financial potential they have in the January transfer market means they will have to mess up just as much as the other teams will have to do well. Right. Okay. They've got a great defence. They really like that's where you think there is something sustainable building there. Um it's very settled, very solid. I uh, I would still be surprised if they because there, there are just so many good teams chasing them. I'd be surprised if they managed to get forth. And I think as well we forget or I do anyway that the season isn't I think of it as sort of halfway through because of it being a midpoint break but it's actually it's not when you know a lot of teams have only played 14 some have played 15 um so it is still re you know there's still a heck of a long way to go and we've seen many teams in the past in the premier league be sort of third fourth at this stage and then by the end they're not even close yeah i, I to be honest i was actually looking at second spot for them as opposed to top four but uh but hey we'll, we'll see we'll see could be an illuminating fixture that leicester against newcastle what about spurs though who are involved in the game which gets the Premier League back underway. This is Boxing Day lunchtime, 12.30, as they visit Brentford. Now, we left things with Brentford having just become the first side to beat Man City at the Etihad in 20 matches. Ivan Toney, who'd had hopes of making the World Cup squad, reacting to his snub, brutal snub, uh, with a match-winning brace in that game. And now he faces Spurs. James Moore of The Athletic tweeting, it only just dawned on me how obvious it is that Ivan Tony will score a penalty 
against Spurs on Boxing Day. Because there'd be a bit of narrative to that, wouldn't there? <laughs> They've got to make use of him while they've got him, though, haven't they? Because just looking at um, Jay Harris's piece on The Athletic this morning about his um, these betting charges that, that are being put against him, he's got if he's broken the rules nearly 300 times, based on Kieran Trippier getting, what, a 10-week ban? 10-week ban. A couple of seasons ago, and Joey Barton got over a year ban. He got 18 he, months, I think. Yeah, I think it was reduced a little bit on appeal. Um, but yeah, that, I mean... That that could be the decisive factor in Brentford's season if he if he's found mm. guilty and given a ban of you know, any four to six games something like that they, they've got a massive problem because he scores the vast majority of their goals. Matt, can you break down exactly what the charges are? I mean, not all three hundred of them, perhaps. <laughs> well, it's it, it's historical bets that he made um, between I think from sort of twenty seventeen onwards uh, between twenty seventeen and twenty seventeen uh, twenty nineteen. Um, obviously, you're not allowed to bet if you all the way down to sort of sixth, seventh tier of football. I think you're not allowed to bet on. It's not football matches that you're involved in. It's any kind of football. Um, so if he's found guilty of that, then you would assume that he's going to get a suspension of some form. Kieran Trippier, he received his suspension for giving information of his transfer mm. to Atletico Madrid, I think, rather which, than... Yeah, which feels, in a way, that feels kind of more serious, doesn't it? Or more significant that he was actually involved in it. But we don't know whether Tony's betting on games that he was involved on, in or mm. not. And, I mean, Brentford did have a period without Tony last season and, you know, inevitably it was, it was far, far harder for them. So that is, that is huge. I mean, Kane scoring a penalty would also be similarly charged with narrative um, in that game. Just, just go straight to Penn's. <laughs> Spurs who are on a poor run of, of form at the moment Charlie or at least were when we stopped they'll have poor uh, Hugo Lloris in how can I say this low morale uh, Christian Romero though his teammate I hope he's delicate around the dressing room about yeah chanting away about Lloris and his teammates probably big World Cup for both those two and a few others Richarlison as well had quite an emotional mm. roller coaster and is injured uh, which is quite bad news the big thing for them is Kudusevsky coming back and that really is massive because you know talking about Brentford without Tony Spurs really missed him before the World Cup uh, he really makes them tick they, they they can look very short of ideas and creativity without him he he came back literally within minutes just set up a goal for Kane against Liverpool with a really nice assist uh, and I think that would give them a lift because they're in a good position, you know, points wise and, you know, they're in the top four, but I don't think many people have been convinced by their performances. So, yeah, it feels like they need something to change and that that could be it. Question marks, Charlie. All right. Well, uh, you mentioned Liverpool there, who are seven points off the top four. We'll talk about them and a bit of that midweek Carabao Cup action next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at livescorebet.com or by downloading the Live Score Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Well, 
everyone else is winding down for Christmas, the Athletics Club podcast are firing back up over the festive period to celebrate the return of domestic football. Catch Talk of the Devils, Handbrake Off, The Phil Hay Show and all your favourite club shows. None of that World Cup nonsense is behind us. All are free to listen to, of course, on Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Carabao Cup. Round of 16 got underway Tuesday night. For anyone who wasn't watching, what happened? Well, Yulin Lopetegui debuted as Wolves manager against Gillingham. Uh, 2-0, the scoreline. 2-0 win for Wolves with Ra Jimenez and Ak Nori. Getting the goals. Southampton uh, beat uh, League One's Lincoln City 2-1. They found two shots against Lincoln convertible. (laughs) Newcastle beat Bournemouth (laughs) 1-0. And Leicester were 3-0 winners against MK Dons. I mean, it's thrilling stuff. There was a a weird thing in that um, MK Dons-Leicester game. So MK Dons sat their manager, Liam Manning, a couple of weeks ago and they put... Dean Lewington in uh, caretaker charge, who's played for them hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, he, at the weekend, they played Portsmouth in the league and his dad is Ray Lewington, famous coach, most recently, you know, alongside Roy Hodgson at Watford. And he kind of snuck him in and put him on the dugout and the game started and the ref spotted it. And said, no, no, he can't just stand in the dugout with you. He's not supposed to be here. So he had to go. Anyway, <laughs> Dean Lewington takes that game. They win 2-0. He's asked how he's enjoying being in caretaker charge. He replies... Not much. Uh, And then he can't take the game against Leicester because he was having hamstring surgery on an injury. So they had to get Bradley Johnson, the um, former Norwich and Leeds midfielder, he's now there, to take the team. He dropped himself, stood on the sidelines and and coached through this game. They're very much bare bones coaching-wise. Did he bring his dad (laughs) or not? (laughs) Uh, I don't know, to be honest, but I'm going to go ahead and say no. Crikey, Matt, that's an astonishing level of detail. Thanks. Coming up on Wednesday, we've got Blackburn against Nottingham Forest. High-flying Blackburn. Man United are up against Burnley. Charlton face Brighton. And then on Thursday, that kind of headlining fixture, Man City against Liverpool. What are Liverpool up to this weekend ahead of that League Cup clash with Man City? Well, they're at Aston Villa. Anyone excited about this game? World champion Emmy Martinez. The first Villa player ever to win the World Cup. Talking about penalty narratives. Charlie, imagine if there's mm. a spot kick awarded here. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has, he has had his moments in the Premier League as well. He's made some, some big penalty saves. I am a bit curious to watch Villa. I feel like they're one of these teams who, you know, Emery came in and has already made a massive difference. Um, and it sounds like they've had quite a positive uh, off-season. So, yeah, I, I do quite want to see how Emery does and whether they can continue that, that good form. Yeah, they, they played Chelsea in uh, Abu Dhabi last week and it was basically their first choice Premier League yeah. team who played in that game. They had four players at the World Cup Villa and one of them is Martinez who won it. One was Matty Cash who did well. And then Jan Bednarek, who I had no idea, played for Villa these days. And Leander <laughs> Dendonkru had a couple of games for Belgium and that's it. So, you know, potentially out of all the Premier League managers, Emery's benefited the most from this break, I'd say. Mm. What was the result when they played uh, Chelsea last week? No, it was 1-0 one, one way or the other. I forget which. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> okay. okay. I watched Emery's 
one of Emery's first Premier League games in charge of Aston Villa and he just his Aston Villa team just completely outworked Ten Hag's Man United they, they played it very much felt like he copy pasted the tactic from Villarreal in the Champions League so I sort of orthodox 4-4-2 um, and the you know, fullback pushes high you, one of your central midfielders pushes wide and you sort of invert you've got that nice little triangle to just play havoc on a defence and Emery's good at this. He's very good at making middleweight teams punch above their weight. And I'm always confused as to where Aston Villa sit in the hierarchy of Premier League clubs. But I think you've got potential Europa Conference League candidates there with Emery in charge. He would become, with a victory against Liverpool this weekend, the first manager in Villa history to get three wins out of three. Liverpool are also looking to make it three wins in the league in a row. They haven't managed to do that so far this season. As I mentioned, they're seven points off the top four. They do have a well-rested Mo Salah, but no Luis Diaz, who's suffered an injury setback. He's apparently going to be out for another three months. Again, do you think Jurgen Klopp will have used these six weeks to have got his team back on track, or will the uncertainty over the over the ownership of the club perhaps leak into the league performances? I think the injury to Luis Diaz means we're going to get a lot more Darwin Nunez on the left-hand side, which I'm quite excited for. Uh, we didn't get too much Darwin Nunez in this World Cup, but I burst out laughing at his attempt to scuff up the penalty spot when Uruguay played Ghana. Um, so, so yeah, more 90 minutes for him will be hilarious, if not good for Liverpool. Uh, and yeah, they're in a really precarious position in that so much of their good work last season was on the fact that Thiago and, and Fabinho were, were together, whereas it be- seems to look like Fabinho is beginning a slow decline. Uh, and... Virgil van Dijk seems gettable in a way that he hasn't previously seen gettable as well. Uh, you know, one of the big conclusions I took from part one of last season, part one of this season, I should say, is that quite a few of the the number sixes who were so good in previous seasons just looked knackered. So Hoiberg was fantastic, almost the exception to the rule, but you're seeing a, a tied Jorginho, you were seeing a tied Fabinho, uh, you were seeing other players just not be able to keep up and cover the space in the way they used to. Um, and the more Liverpool have to play Henderson and Milner to sort of cover for other midfield errors, uh, the more gettable they will be in general. So uh, good luck to the rest of that team and Trent Alexander-Arnold in particular. No Jota as well still, which is, mm. you know, that's that's a, a big blow for them. I mean, talking about players that didn't go to the World Cup, you mentioned Salah and Thiago, the fact that he didn't is, I think Thiago not going is a big boost for them because his fitness is... Is is often touch and go, and I think he's such a crucial player for them. But yeah, I mean, I feel like they they their squad will be tested in those attacking positions, and it'll be interesting to see whether Klopp can find those solutions because we're so used to him having such a settled front three. And even then, last season Diaz came in, but then they had this sort of rotating front five, which worked amazingly well. So yeah, and that's a, that is a hard first game. Unai Emery's Villa away. Yeah, we're so used to seeing Liverpool in the top two, but. This year, even top four looks like a big ask. One thing in their favour is two seasons ago, they were in a similar position. They dropped out of the top four and looked completely hopeless and then rallied and actually ended up finishing third. That was the Allison scoring at West Brom season. So they have recent experience of finding a way, but yeah, they, they may have left themselves too much to do. Yeah, this Premier League looks maybe more competitive than that one, though, with the likes of Newcastle and, of course, Arsenal. You saying Solskjaer's United coming second wasn't a competitive <laughs> Premier League season? <laughs> Uncertainty anyway, reigning over Anfield with question marks over 
the club's sale or at least new investors coming in. Similar story at Man United with the Glazers now declaring themselves open to at least selling part of the club. Bournemouth, meantime, have been sold to a group of people. The only one whose name I remember is Michael B. Jordan out of Black Panther and, most thrillingly, Creed. We'll talk about Bournemouth in a second or two, but which is going to be more propitious for a return to Premier League action? Uh, The players who've been through, who are kind of finely tuned and match fit from a gruelling tournament in the Middle East and all the emotional toil and, 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 and taxation that's come from that, or those who've basically not played a proper competitive game in six weeks, who's, who's going to be better off? It's a, it's a case-by-case basis, isn't it? It's, it's, um, are we talking now about Chelsea? We can do. <laughs> Chelsea, Matt Davis-Adams. Just because they're playing Bournemouth, obviously, on, on right. the 27th. Um, it's, it's, it's so difficult to tell. I mean, you would think that, that Graham Potter's had the time that he needed with his players that he didn't get with the pre-season, but Chelsea had 12 players at the World Cup and, and a lot of other players who were injured. And, and just when we thought that Wesley Fofana was going to be ready to come back on the 27th, he gets a knee injury in a, in a behind-closed-doors game against Brentford this week. So I wonder um, I wonder how helpful this is going to have been for Chelsea, actually. They, they obviously lost Armando Breuer as well last week against Villa. He's going to be out for the season. So they have has, very has limited options up front. Has Mount no, been Mount, injured? No, no, Mount just didn't play much during the World Cup, so he should come back in, in reasonably good shape. And, and, you know, on the on the other side of that, Mateo Kovacic couldn't stay fit and play successive games for Chelsea this season, and he's just powered his way through the World Cup. So that could be that could be a boost for them. Jorginho obviously didn't go, so that's good as well. But the rest of, you know, you're looking at the players who, who are going to be relied upon having not played in the World Cup. It's Kepa, who's coming off an injury. It's Kukurea, who's not had a good start to his Chelsea career. And, and ditto for Aubameyang, so. Chelsea are in a very difficult position. They had a good run of form when Potter first arrived. Worryingly, the longer he spent there, the worse they seemed to do. <laughs> so is that your reading of things? How concerned are you for his long-term prospects there? Uh, I'm not concerned for his long-term prospects. They're, they're reshuffling everything behind the scenes. You, you've got to take into account, and I think I've said this on the show before, but the players who he has been without, Rhys James and Ben Chilwell are arguably Chelsea's two most important players. Wesley Fofana cost them nearly 80 million quid and was supposed to take the pressure off 38-year-old Thiago Silva. And the other one's N'Golo Conte, who, you know, when he is fit, is the best in the world at doing what he does. So those are significant absentees to have. He also had, I think, 18 games in a ridiculously short period of time. And as he pointed out, and this felt like a bit of a lame excuse, but I think there's something to it. The majority of those games were away from home, which meant more travel, more planning, less time on the training pitch. So obviously this break is going to have benefited him to some extent in in just integrating himself into the club. But yeah, what kind of frame of mind is Thiago Silva coming back in, for instance? You know, he basically, his move to Chelsea was to facilitate him playing in the World Cup and and hopefully winning it. So how does he come back? I'm not sure. It's a difficult game, this, especially because Bournemouth always seem to beat Chelsea. They won on three of their five visits to the Premier League. I was kind of hoping that the fact that they'd appointed Gary O'Neill permanently meant that the laws of football would mean that they would lose this game, but they already <laughs> played one at Newcastle midweek, so maybe they've used up that. Right. Uh, a game that they lost, of course. Um, as we mentioned, Bill Foley taking over the club and Gary O'Neill, now the permanent manager, an 18-month contract for him, so yeah, a sort of limited amount of... Uh, of faith 
He had two players away at the World Cup, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. They were Kiefer, yeah, Kiefer Moore and Chris Meppham, who came home early with Wales and both played in midweek in the Cup. So he's had plenty of time with this squad. What proportion of Chelsea's squad were away, Matt? 12, 12 players away. And as I say, the key players injured as well. So you might see people like Lewis Hall involved, who we saw a little bit before the break. There's a, a lad called Amari Hutchinson, who they pinched from Arsenal's youth team in the summer, uh, who has been on the subs bench a few times for Chelsea. So I think we might see him and maybe Carney Chukwemeka over the next few weeks too. Hmm. Were they among the Premier League clubs most affected by the exodus to Qatar? Yeah, I think City were the most, weren't they? City mm. had 16, but but you know, 12 of your whatever it is, 24, 25 man squad, that's pretty significant when when you take into consideration that four of your other first teamers are injured. All right. Well, next up, let's get Carl on Man United and their clash with Nottingham Forest. Perhaps Matt will have an opinion on that as well. And we'll also have a quick check on things down the bottom end of the table in general. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Matt, what's up in the Football League? What's up in the Football League? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm presuming you've heard that Colo Toure is now the, the Wigan manager. This after Yaya had declined the job and they thought, hmm, well, who's, who's Toure adjacent? <laughs> we'll get him. Um, Wigan, by the way, sacked their previous manager, Liam Richardson, uh, a month after they'd given him a new contract, three months after he got them promoted and maybe six months after he'd saved their star striker's life on the training pitch. So um, that was a, a little rum. Wow, more details on that. that story, please, Matt. 
Charlie White had a cardiac arrest during training and it just so happened that uh, Liam Richardson, the then manager, had done a first aid course, uh, I think it was part of his LMA training, a couple of weeks before and he literally did the chest compressions and brought him back to life in front of the rest of the squad on the training pitch and Charlie White is back playing now, remarkably. But the manager is no longer managing there. No, he is not. Colo Toure is now in. Started with a draw at Millwall. Uh, lost to Sheffield United midweek. Um, the Championship at the moment, I, I had a little look at this. Six aside team that you could make from Championship managers. We don't need a goalie, so ignore that. But you could have Slaven Bilic, Toure and Vincent Company at the back. Paul Lintz and Michael Carrick in midfield and Jan Dal Thomason up front. Mm. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. Adjacent to the top end of the Championship is the bottom end of the Premier League which currently features Forest Saints and Wolves in the bottom three, West Ham and Everton only a point above them, and Leeds and Bournemouth not too far away as well. This weekend, absolute rock bottom of the table, Wolves, visit the only just outside the bottom three, Everton, in what looks like a significant match. Wolves, of course, as we mentioned before, now managed by Yulon Lopetegui, because they couldn't get Mick Beale. It's going to be his first game as a Premier League manager. He had one in the Carabao Cup on Tuesday night and they won that 2-0. Everton and Wolves are the two lowest scoring teams in the Premier League, although that may all change. May all change. Uh, That's along with Forest, that low scoring team stat. As for Everton, while Wolves usher in their brand new era, last we saw of Everton fans, they were venting their fury after back-to-back defeats against Bournemouth. Lovely old-fashioned booze <laughs> in that. They've had six defeats in eight games in all competitions. They've been off to Australia for a, a little break. Not sure uh, how that's going to help things. Key game, this? Nailed on Wolves win, this, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> First game for Lopetegui in the Premier League. Everton's sort of malaise that's around them, as you say. They don't score goals. I mean, it did take... I think it was Australia, but yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it did take Wolves 77 minutes to score against the bottom team in the whole football league and that was a penalty in midweek. So it might not be a classic, this one. But yeah, it's got it's got 1-0 win, you know. Booze ringing out. Minute. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Frank Lampard appealing for calm as he walks <laughs> off the pitch and, and somebody holding Jordan Pickford back. Connor Cody fronting up like you would not believe. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about this football club, yeah. Yeah. My word. That does sound dramatic. And if you're not an Everton fan, quite quite appealing that potentially dropping into the bottom three with that teams in and around that that uh, that danger zone include Matt Nottingham Forest, who'll be taking on Man United, who've also had a busy World Cup, as we mentioned, with the, the Glazers talking about considering selling the club, and that business with Cristiano Ronaldo, the interview, and then the termination of his contract. This is intriguingly. The first Premier League meeting between these sides since Matt what? <sighs> yeah, since that fateful day, February 1999. I was there when I think it was Andy Cole got subbed off at 4-1 and we all thought, oh, phew, that'll make things easier for the closing stages of this match. And uh, yeah, narrator, it didn't. Solskjaer thinks about going, beats the offside trap. And Besson does well yet again. But there's more to do. Brilliant from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Forest lost 8-1. It was 1-1 at one point in that game as well. <laughs> it was 0-0 as well. <laughs> Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came on as a substitute and scored four goals, which remains the highest 
tally for somebody coming in off the bench in Premier League history. Crikey. Uh, Carl, do you want to say anything about that game and what's going on with Man United? No, they certainly went on small tour to Spain. It wasn't a great uh, performance in terms of results. They lost to Real Betis and Cadiz as well. Uh, Ten Hag has struck a very confident to the point tone when asked about certain things. Uh, he, he was asked many a time about Cristiano Ronaldo and tried his best to not talk about it. And then I think on a 30-second attempt, went, OK, fine, I'll talk, talk about it as well. The big interesting thing uh, with United is is Jaden Sancho, who has spent this entire mm. World Cup break in the Netherlands with some coaches on Ten Hag's recommendation uh, and is now in a sort of, he's not in our immediate plans, but we hope he can come good. Uh, which wow. Is so just, really, it's fascinating. Is this the same Jaden Sancho who they spent years lusting after, spent a packet on because he was going to resolve all sorts of problems? What's gone wrong? What What are they coaching him on, do you think? Uh, I think that there's going to be conversation over his ability to take on the defender. Uh, Sancho, for all of his dribbling ability, is not rapid uh, and very often needs an overlapping fullback to distract the defender so he can work his way into the half spaces. Uh, and partway through the pre-World Cup section, he became more and more reserved, especially in his passing. There were two or three times I was watching him in the Europa League and saying, with the smallest disrespect you're playing against ammonia uh ammonia nicosia like you should be able to destroy that fullback by just running at him just run at him uh, and, he, and he didn't uh, so i think it, it's terms of uh, physical conditioning uh, and also mental conditioning as well uh, i think there's been two or three conversations as to uh, the slightly brittle confidence sancho has had since he's become a manchester united player through i'm gonna say no real fault of his own it's been right a, quite a tumultuous season and a bit at Manchester United for any player. There is definitely a version where Jadon Sancho could have kicked on after scoring against Liverpool, could have kicked on after that nice early stint and, and forced his way into the England team. And by the end of the time the England squad was announced, he was nowhere near it. Mm. Um, so that that provokes some big questions over United's attacking stuff. Obviously, not having Cristiano Ronaldo now probably frees up some money in terms of immediate wages. Uh, but also provokes questions as to who plays up front all the time for United. Uh, Anthony Martial is back and fit, but Anthony Martial's hamstrings are not the strongest. So we might see a bit more of Marcus Rashford through the middle or uh, the youngster Alejandro Garnacho, who mm. was on the provisional Argentina 55-man squad but didn't quite sneak in on the 23. I was going to say Sancho's not helped by Garnacho coming in. I think he looks fantastic and playing with such confidence and freedom you know it feels a little bit you know Sancho might look at him and be like you know I was the future once because he 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 has that swagger I, th I mean I think he looks Carl you'll know much better than me but I've only seen him a few times and I, I think he looks amazing you know one of these players you think if he doesn't make it and become a big star something would have gone wrong I, I think he's he's looks like he's got it all and United as well with the you you, you know mentioned with Spurs having a player for Argentina and France you know, United did as well, didn't they? They had Varane and Alessandro Martinez. So they have had players go deep at that tournament. I know Martinez wasn't a kind of uh, playing regularly, but he played a bit. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they're affected by the World Cup break as well. Yeah, I think in terms of minutes played, Manchester United is second only to Manchester City. Um, and maybe this is my red spouting bias, but I think the a number of teams benefited from the influence of Manchester United players. So I think the Portugal team were, became Bruno Fernandes' side. 
Um, and I think, yes, uh, Lissandro Martinez didn't play too much for Argentina, but I think he had really good impact in the game against Australia. And he was very, very good in the quarterfinal against the Netherlands as well. Uh, Rafael mm. Moran looked absolutely exhausted in those final minutes mm. of the final. Uh, he, he said as of, much, didn't he? he was yeah, he, he sort of collapsed to the ground and looked utterly defeated. And I think it was one of those substitutions where you sort of take a man off because he's got, emotionally, he's got nothing left in him. But those gentlemen seem fine fitness-wise. I think they're going to be afforded an extra week so they won't feature against Nottingham Forest. Mm. But uh, they'll be around. So, uh, yeah, good luck to Mr Maguire as well. Mm. Yeah. United are three points off the top four with a game in hand. Forest, slightly different story for them, Matt, but back-to-back wins before the break at home. Still yet to win on their travels there in the Premier League this season and only one goal scored in their away matches thus far. Mm, this will shock you. They've signed somebody. Um, How? <laughs> he can't play till January. Uh, I, I think I'm in love. Though His name's Gustavo Scarpa. He was um, named in the team of the tournament for the Copa Libertadores this year. Forrest have got him from Palmeiras, Brazilian. Uh, he uh, has been skateboarding around the city already. <laughs> He's also a big wakeboarding guy, enjoys classic literature, and he can do a Rubik's Cube at the click of your fingers. So, yeah, really looking really? forward to seeing him. Yeah, He's, yeah. he's got a name for sub-editors to conjure with as well. Well, yes, he, he might... Well be Gustavo Scarpa's nominative determinism if Forrest get relegated and uh, we don't see him again. But yeah, but no, Forrest did look much better before the break. Uh, they've been in Greece last couple of weeks. Obviously, that's where the um, where the owners from. They'll be without Czech Kuyate, I would guess, for a while, given his injury for Senegal, which is a shame because he was looking like a a decent part of the Forest midfield. But tough start back. They've got uh, Man United away and then Chelsea at home on New Year's Ooh. Day. So it might be a while before they get any more points. They'll be looking at the Southampton game um, next month, I think, as, as one. Okay. They might be able to pick up some points. In. Southampton, their fellow bottom three side, who are taking on Brighton this weekend. Just a scarper busy skateboarding around Nottingham, Nottingham City Centre. Uh, are footballers allowed to skate? Yeah, I, I feel like not. But then they incorporated the skateboard into his signing photos. He actually had it on the pitch. <laughs> so whether this is just his gimmick and he's going, look, if I'm going to come from Brazil to Nottingham to get relegated, I'm bringing my skateboard. What position does he play? He is uh, a kind of left-sided 10, apparently. So they're going to have to try and squeeze him, Morgan Gibbs-White and Jesse Lingard into the same team. Which Another is 10? Fun. Yeah, apparently this one was too good to turn down, Carl, so I'm told. So, yeah, and there's only going to be a couple more signings in January. I mean, Jesse Lingard hasn't been great for Forrest, that, that's something to say. Gibbs White's been arguably their best player in recent weeks, but yeah, let's see. Let's see what this guy can do. It's okay. exciting. Mm. All right, Saints-Brighton is the first home game in charge at St Mary's for Nathan Jones. Matt, you've seen plenty of him at Luton. How's he going to get on? Um, I think he's going to do all right. It's going to be really, really interesting because the guy is ludicrously intense. And I don't, Carl can say better than me, but I don't necessarily associate St. Mary's with, with, with great intensity. So it's going to be interesting to watch him whip up the crowd in particular. But his his uh, methods are unusual, Nathan Jones. I'll use the example of when he took the Luton job in, in 2016. And he felt that the squad were taking too much time playing table tennis at the training grounds. Uh, so he took the table out onto the training pitch, smashed it up, 
and set it on fire. He said there was a big table tennis culture, so I thought I can either cajole them and try to get them into the gym or I can burn the tennis table. It was far easier to burn the tennis table. We had to smash it up first to get it flammable. So that's the kind of guy that yeah. you're dealing with. But I actually think Southampton squad is, is young, isn't it? It's one of the youngest in the Premier League. Mm. And I think if you've got this guy saying, look, you guys either come with me or you're out and this is what we're doing and it's all intensity and it's all Southampton, that's all your life is about now. I think some people might take to that in a way that they wouldn't in other squads. And I think actually, he, and he is, I'm, I'm underselling him a bit. He tactically is a very astute manager. He's taken Luton from League Two to the Championship playoffs last season. He's a good coach, but he is nuts. So there's going to be a right. lot of touchline fracas. Was there a lot of ping pong played at at Southampton, Carl? Uh, I know there were quite a few FIFA fans and they played Uno quite a bit. Um, okay. I mean, the interesting thing that Matt is saying is obviously it's an intense manager to bring in a bunch of youngsters to play intense style of football. That was Hassan Hall. That was Hassan's whole thing. They, they were trying to play Red Bull style of football um, and often got done by the failings of Red Bull style of football in the Premier League. In terms of Nathan Joe, I understand he bites his nails so much they can often be bleeding, so he often tapes up his fingertips as well. Seriously? Yeah, he, he, he's such a nervous biter of his fingernails, he, he tapes them up yeah, so he can't. I, I, intensity is the word. Um, our friend Adrian Clark used to play with him at South End, and he said that uh, at training, uh, like pre-season training, Nathan Jones on the runs would just be lapping everybody, and there's like kind of an agreement <laughs> that you don't do that with the goalies. You know, They're always going to be behind, and he'd just be humiliating people, running around them, saying, I'll do this all day. He is, um, yeah, he's quite the character. If, if, you're, if you're a Southampton season ticket holder near the dugout in, say, rows A through J, and you're not putting in the required effort, you might feel some flecks of spittle and a finger jabbing in your face, asking why you're not making more noise. It's going to yep. be uh, a, a wild ride. As well. Big, big, finger. big, big, big fan of PowerPoints. Like his PowerPoint presentations are well known, especially in terms of recruiting. Um, so during his time at Luton, every, every, you know, there's been three or four stories of how he convinced the player to sign because he just made a mind-blowing PowerPoint presentation as to... to, to Clip to, art and all, all of that. As to what their plans were. of just like, here's who you are, here's the team, here's what we want you to do, here's what you're going to be doing in season one, two and three. Um, yeah, a meticulous planner. And I'm sure he's going to give two or three spiky interviews as the season goes on. Here's a game we haven't talked about. Crystal Palace against Fulham. It's happening on Monday at three o'clock. It's a game that once featured one of the all-time great Premier League goals mm. by a certain Paitim Kasami. Do you remember this? Comes in over his shoulder. With his wrong foot as well, I believe. To flips it forward. It's a good run from Kasami. Paitim Kasami! What a goal! Absolutely leathers it. It's a, one of the phenomenal bottom half uh, Premier League goals. It was definitely on the goal of the season list. I'm not sure if it won it for, for that season. Right. Did he ever trouble the kind of goal of the month or goal of the week even uh, compilations again? No, no, not, not, no? Not, not to my memory. It, this was a sort of ridiculous goal uh, and the high point of his, his time at Fulham, at least mm. in my mind, at a time where Fulham were beginning that, as Daniel Story often describes it, when, when Fulham get too weird and, and the squad has just the wrong chemistry and makeup and they start circling the, the relegation places. That was this season. This was the Felix Magat season. Yes, um, and I, and I think I th yeah exactly. I think Kasami lost out to Jack Wilshere against that goal against Norwich in the goal oh. of the season uh, in this particular campaign. But it, it's a, it's a ridiculous goal. High point of his career. Poor Sod ended up on loan at Forest not long after. Oh, Matt, mm. there you go. 
Fulham at the moment doing anything but circling the bottom three. They're up in ninth place, two places ahead of uh, their opponents on Monday, Crystal Palace, who are looking to win four home games in a row in the top flight for the first time since 1990. I think this will be a good matchup. Fulham are ninth. Uh, They are just absolutely maximising their set pieces. They are phenomenal at corner kicks. Um, Andreas Pereira is playing like an old school number 10 and just the moment he gets the ball forward, just pings it in swinging corners and in swinging uh, free kicks. They've you know heavily reliant on Mitrovic as well, who's been taking painkilling injections since the last international break before the World Cup. So I think he's, he's going to enjoy a small breather. Uh, I know he went back to Serbia and watched some basketball recently so I think he's just having a nice couple of weeks without having to take painkillers um, and one thing that has completely taken me by surprise with this Fulham team is just William being good mm. again I thought William going to Fulham was one of those deals where you go okay I understand you've got a house nearby and you don't really like moving house um, but he's British been citizen a... now isn't he William yeah, he's, uh, yeah posted a, a picture of him having uh, gained his citizenship Oh, that's nice. With all the opportunities that that now affords him, <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's been a revelation for Fulham this season, and uh, it has been argued by some very annoyed Chelsea fans that Willian this season has been a more effective wide player than a number of Chelsea's wide players at the moment. Um, so yeah, this will be a really fun game uh, in, in that. Palace really strong transition. Fulham okay. like counter punching as well, uh, but also the set pieces are. are will be, I think, the thing the whole game will turn on. I'm intrigued, Carl. Is it on telly, do you know? I would... I think this is the Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah it's the Prime. Is it? They're They're all, all on... T- mm. Good Lord. Or you could ignore the whole lot and be shocked and surprised when we reveal the score lines when we return in our next show on The Totally. Producer Charlie, can I confirm that is next Thursday? Wow. Someone's taking a bit of a breather. Yes, next Thursday we return... After the full round of games, because there's that Wednesday night one, and then after that we should be on to a more regular uh, by or indeed thrice weekly schedule with the return of our Euro buddies Rafa, James, Julian, and Alvaro on Tuesdays. I have to say, I found today's show with Carl, Charlie, and Matt tremendously illuminating, revelatory in some points. And um, so much I'm looking forward to. I hope you are too, listener. Many thanks to everyone involved, producer Charlie and you, listener. More of the same next Thursday. So do join us then. For now, from all of us here, hey, everyone, have a happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.